The following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Colossians entitled, Jesus Over Everything. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Colossians 4, verses 3 through 4. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Um, Alec, I mean, he gave me my introduction. I don't have to say anything else about me. I will say this, though. It's, it's like an Iowa Acts 29 thing to be a, a lead pastor, a church planner, and a wrestler. And uh, all the dude, like Dean and, and um, Cole, these guys were like good wrestlers. And I was, I was a terrible wrestler. <laughs> so that's the difference. If you want to talk to me about wrestling, like I'm just not going to be your guy on uh, all the camps and, and tournaments I won. So, but it taught me how to fail. <laughs> that was my, you know, joining Jesus in the fire moment of my life. So, <laughs> all right. Also, I, I'm again, this is this, like Alex said, this is our second time. This is the second service this morning. And I'm still like, man, it hit me fresh again singing songs, singing, praising Jesus next to Alec. Like in college ministry, we, were, we met in this room called, uh, well, it was in one of the lecture halls on campus. And it was this college ministry called Basic. And literally Alec stood in the same exact spot in that auditorium. And it was like, I'm flat. I like was taken back to uh, when Jesus saved me in college uh, just from this experience this morning. And it reminds me, and this is a good reminder that we all, I think, need, especially during these times, is that Jesus promised to build his church. Jesus promised that the church would advance and that the gates of hell would not withstand it. No COVID-19, no uh, racial tensions, no, none of the stuff that's going on, the political polarization, everything. None of that can keep Jesus's mission from moving forward. And, uh, and, and we're just stepping into a long line of people building the church um, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So just super encouraged. I, I hope you're encouraged by that. Let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray specifically for your spirit to enlarge our hearts this morning. I'm just always struck by that language in the Psalms that we need our hearts enlarged to take in the weight of your gospel, the, the reality of resurrection life that we are living. I pray that we would, as we rehearse the gospel this morning through song and through the preaching, through our conversations about Jesus, through the confessions that we've confessed together, I pray that your spirit would refresh in our hearts and enlarge in our hearts to treasure Christ more this morning. And that when we treasure Christ in the gospel, that we would also be motivated to share that with others. That our, our joy in you would overflow this morning. It would overflow into love for one another and love for the lost. Pray that you would do that for us this morning because we need you to produce that in our hearts. We can't just muster it. We just, can't, we just can't throw money and, and words and things at, at this. Like, you have to animate what we do this morning. So wake us up this morning. 
praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So as, uh, as we've already said like, and pointed out, I, I got saved in college at UNI. My sophomore year at UNI is when I met Jesus. And shortly after that, uh, I got hooked up with four different dudes who wanted to start a Christian metalcore band. I don't know if you guys ever heard of Christian metalcore. It's kind of an oxymoron, but uh, it was a thing. It was a more popular thing in the mid-2000s, but uh, it still exists. And that moment in my life was, was, uh, it was full of optimism. It was full of joy and passion. And, and we as followers of Christ, like fresh followers of Jesus, we had so much vision for going to do things. Like we were dreamers. We we're like, man, we're going to play shows. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to build relationships with kids in the scene. And we're going to try to make disciples. We're going to try to use the band as an outlet for ministry. And in a lot of ways, it was like my first introduction to uh, apprenticing the way of Jesus. It was sort of an apprenticeship, uh, learning the contours of the New Testament while I was on the road. It just felt very like in sync. And uh, early on, that passion was super strong. But as tour went on, it became a grind. It was like, I mean, we didn't make any money. I mean, we had like some Facebook likes, but, you know, it's not like we were rock stars. And so often... What we ended up doing was sleeping in Walmart parking lots, getting stiffed our guarantees, playing to nobody. Sometimes, I mean, one show we played to uh, the, just the sound guy, and even the sound guy walked out. <laughs> it's like, what are we doing, you know? And, and over time, that passion got dulled, right? Like the early sort of vibrancy of this Jesus life got dulled because of the grind of tour life. And it made us feel older in a sense, more tired. And tour became a hard place, a hard place for us. And one of the hardest tours was in Canada. We, and I love Canada. I love the Canadian people. This is not a dig on Canada as a whole. But our experience in Canada when we played uh, across the provinces there is that every show, whether it was an AMVETS hall, a community center, whatever, when we preached the gospel, it was met with a resounding indifference. People didn't give a rip. See, in the States, when we preached the gospel, it was like people reacted, you know, whether it was a amen, brother, or like a hail Satan or whatever, like conversation that was sparked after. There was, it was something that people still were entertaining. The gospel was a provocative idea. But in Canada, the folks that were coming to our shows and the bands we toured with, they just didn't give a rip. Didn't care about it. It was apathetic. And it was my first experience into what I would what people call a post-Christian culture is a very pervasively post-Christian apathy, cynicism, jadedness. It, that ruled the culture. And so we grew to think that and believe that this life that we were living uh, in, the, in the tour was an unlikely place and, an, and a, a place that Jesus probably wasn't saving anybody in. It was hard and it was a grind, and we thought this was an unlikely place for the, the gospel of Jesus Christ to advance in. And my guess is, is that you all have versions of that story. You all have versions of being excited about Jesus and following Christ and sharing the gospel, and then over time, whether it's your job, your family, or whatever, just the grind of life has worn you down. You might have been really energized by a particular ministry or a particular um, book of the Bible even or whatever, and you're, and you're now, maybe it's a fight. Maybe it was a fight to get here this morning. It's a fight to get in your 
daily devotions or your prayer life. It's a fight. It's a grind. And you're left wondering in this post-Christian, post-everything world, can the mission of God still advance? Does Jesus still save people? Is the harvest still plentiful? So that question is, is really begged in this morning's text. So turn with me to Colossians 4, 3 through 4. Is really uh, only two verses here. I'm not going to re-preach Justin's sermon on uh, the importance of prayer. But last week he did a really good job from what I heard through the podcast of, of showing you Paul's instruction that Christians are to be the type of people that pray not sometimes, not only in the mornings, not only at church, but persistently. Pray often. Our lives are to be saturated in conversation with God. And not only are we to pray, but we are to have the, our prayer life should have a certain type of tone, certain type of texture. And that's what Paul calls gratitude or thankfulness. We should have thankfulness in our hearts as we pray. And so this morning's text is a continuation of Paul's thought on prayer because he says, at the same time, Pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So essentially, Paul is encouraging the church to be persistent in prayer, and that their attitude of prayer should be thankfulness, and that in the midst of this type of prayer, it should seamlessly flow into prayer for the lost. And how is that? Like, you should ask, like, why does that, why are they so linked? Well, apparently for Paul, there's a strong relationship between gratitude toward God and mission toward people. So there's gratitude toward God, mission toward people. We see that in the text. And to really appreciate this, like, it's helpful to take a walk back in this book. Let's take a walk backwards and see that, why that's linked so much for Paul. Because uh, prayer and thankfulness is really a big theme in this book. Uh, one of the things that drives and fuels Paul's thankfulness, his gratitude towards God, is looking at the Colossians and seeing their salvation. There are people that have been saved by Christ. That makes him grateful. It, it excites him. It's like the thing that he was put on earth to do. He says in chapter one, we always thank God. So there's the persistent prayer. We always thank God when we pray for you. So what sparked that? What sparked the gratitude? Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So what sparked Parked. What parked Paul's joy? Yeah, what parked Paul's joy in his heart. <laughs> what sparked Paul's joy is the knowledge of their salvation, that he knew that these people were once brought from the domain of darkness into marvelous light. People who once were dead in their sins are now alive in Christ. And he's saying, thank you, God, for that. That's the best, most marvelous reality that we can possibly bring to the Lord and acknowledge and say, oh, praise God that you save. Thank you that not only you've saved me, from death and from sin and from Satan, but you've saved these people. Thank you that you saved and preserved my college friends. Thank you that you saved my kids. Thank you that you saved me. 
It's gratitude. And then you start to see it spill over and bubble out of his prayer life into wanting others to experience that. That's why he says, pray for opportunity. Pray for opportunity. But what if your life, what if your life is hard right now? What if it's a grind? Some of you might be experiencing the grind of life. How are, you, how are we supposed to be thankful when life sucks? Like, it's just an honest question to ask yourself. Because when life is hard, you're not often whistling around town thanking God for all his new morning mercies. It's tough. Your coworkers might be hard. Your neighborhood might be hard. Your circumstances in general, might be hard. You might be in a place similar to what I was in, in in tour, grind of tour life. You might be in a place where you think that where you're at in life is a hard and unlikely place for the mission of God to move forward. Hard and unlikely. But what I want you to see is that the hard and unlikely places are exactly the places that God delights in opening the door of opportunity for the mission of God to move forward. That's like actually the place that God wants you in and wants people to see their need is in the hard and unlikely places. So let's take a look at the text again. Uh, this is just one of those things that you got to point out the obvious, but Paul is in prison and that's probably not a, a great place to be, right? That's a hard and unlikely place for anything to advance in. Like he's, he's in prison, He's not doing any advancing. He's sitting there. And yet he prays for opportunity to declare the mystery of Christ. What's that? What's the mystery of Christ? That's the gospel. And the mystery of Christ is, is, is basically Paul's way of saying the unfolding hidden plan of redemption through Christ Jesus, which is hidden to those that don't know Jesus, needs to be made known. He's, he wants to make that known to the lost. And so in a, in a way, it's like this buried treasure that Paul knows is hidden in the hard place. And he wants to unearth it and show it to the lost. Jesus, I mean, it was Jesus himself who said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. In his joy, he went for that treasure. Paul knew his treasure. Like Paul knew the joy that he had in Christ. And he knew what was possible. He knew what was latent in that hard place. Whether it was a conversation with a guard or whether it was a conversation with somebody else who was in prison or whatever. Paul knew intimately the treasure that was Christ. And the joy that overflowed in his heart when he knew and rehearsed the gospel of Jesus Christ. When he, when he realized and reminded himself what he was saved from. He knew that treasure. And so it's no surprise then that it spills out in his prayer life toward the lost. And that's why he instructs the church to do the same. Pray. Pray for opportunity. So what fuels our gratitude in our prayer life? is a deep appreciation for our salvation. We don't move on from the gospel. It almost sounds trite to say, but we don't move on from the gospel. That by grace through faith sort of reality that holds everything together in the Christian church, 
We never move on from that. And so we need to engage in real prayer like the psalmist in Psalm 51 that says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Because we have a tendency to grow cold. Our joy, our hearts. I mean, the reason we don't share the gospel isn't just because it's inconvenient or awkward. It's because we don't often deeply appreciate the depth of our sin and the magnificence of Christ. So we need to rehearse it. But how do we get that restored? Well, we need to identify, I think we need to identify one of the biggest killjoys that keeps our joy from bubbling out into mission and prayer for opportunity for the lost is that we are so steeped in a culture of apathy, a culture of cynicism, nihilism. If any of you spent around time, any amount of time around memes, any, around, any amount of time around conversations with people who don't know Jesus, I mean, there's some deep cynicism going on, right? Disillusionment is another word for it. Disenchantment with things that maybe once have been popular. Take, for example, this song. So this is a musical uh, sort of expression of this culture. Uh, this artist named Sam Fender, he's kind of a modern Bruce Springsteen. I don't know if anybody listens to him. Apparently over a million people on Spotify do. <laughs> so I'm not the only one. Um, it's got a song called Hypersonic Missiles. This kind of sums up this culture of nihilism for me. This is, what it's, this is what he writes. He says, Dutch kids huff balloons in parking lot. The golden arches illuminate the business park. I eat myself to death and I feed the corporate machine. I watch the movies, recite every line and scene. God bless America and all of its allies. I'm not the first to live with wool over my eyes. I'm so blissfully unaware of everything. Kids in Gaza are bombed and I'm just out of it. The tensions of the world are rising higher and we're probably due for another war with all this ire. I'm not smart enough to change a thing. I've no answers, only questions. Don't you ask a thing. Oh, silver-tongued suits and cartoons, they rule my world, singing it's high time for hypersonic missiles. And when the bombs drop, darling, can you say that you've lived your life? This high time for hypersonic missiles. I mean, that, if that's not nihilism, I don't know what is. And the question is, in this culture, can the mission of God move forward? Because if you roam around on the TV long enough, or you roam around on the internet long enough, or you roam around on your radio long enough, what's going to seep into our minds is that everything is too far gone, too far lost. The soil's too rocky. How can the seed of the gospel be planted and flourish in this? But we as Christians are called to rehearse and remember that you've been raised with Christ, like really raised with Christ. You are to seek the things that are above, as the biblical language puts it, which is where Christ is. We're to set our minds on the things that are above, that you have died with Christ, like we sang about, we participate in his death. We put to death our sin, put to death our idolatry of self. We join Jesus in the fire. Man, that's some rich imagery. That gets me. I mean, we could just like sing that song two more, two more times and just go home. <laughs> We are to put to death what is earthly, which includes cynicism. 
where to put the death, the joylessness that is rampant in the culture, what is so earthly. And we are to move towards the treasure of Christ and to treasure it, especially in this cultural moment. And so if you are in Christ this morning, we are called to fan that into flame, like fan it into flame. Because you've been brought out of darkness and into light. We're not playing around with words. Like this is real life. This is real life stuff. We see oftentimes our prayer life is so saturated in this culture of it will never happen here. It'll never work here. That we oftentimes get our prayer life hijacked. We think, oh man, America's too far gone. My neighborhood's too far gone. My family's too set in their ways. And that's baloney. You know that's baloney. You tell yourself that's baloney this morning. (laughs) In a way, we need to become more like children, like little kids. There's kids in this room right now that have not experienced half the pain that you've experienced in your life. And they're a lot, the way they approach the world, the joy of discovery is real for them. Oh, what's behind that door? There's an old... um, Uh, You guys ever heard of G.K. Chesterton? He's an old author. He wrote this book called Orthodoxy. Well, he talks about kids. uh, He talks about kids when you tell stories. Um, The young kid, when you tell a story about, um, okay, little Timmy opened up the closet and out popped a monster. And the kids are like, whoa. Well, the younger kids, all you got to say is little Timmy opened up the closet. And they're like, what? They open up the closet because their whole mind, they're not beaten down with the world. They haven't experienced the grind. Every moment of their life is pregnant with possibility. And when Jesus says that we are to become like little children, that's the outlook, the sort of eternal youthfulness of Christ. That around every dark nook and cranny of this world and in people's hearts, Jesus looks at and says, There's treasure that could be there. I could be there and renew that place. I could be in your heart, renewing you from the inside out. There is no person too far gone. There is no place too far dilapidated, too broken. That's why cynicism has no place in the church, no place in our life. And we need to kill that if we are to approach God in our prayer life with any sense of joy, that will spill out in prayer for the lost. And the good news is that the Christian journey is a journey of transformation. You're not destined to get the waves and abuses of life and be beaten down into a frail, cynical, old, shriveled up form of yourself. You're not destined for that. You're destined to be transformed through the cross. Like again, we prayed, (laughs) we sang this song that had that line in there. We are transformed. And part of that transformation process is that you don't grow old and grumpy, but you are infused with the Holy Spirit. You get God's eyes to see the world with possibility. And this is where we need the Spirit of God. Like we need the Spirit of God because we can't do this on our own, under our own willpower, with our own resources, with our own ideas. We just can't do it. We can't seek out the lost with the energy that Christ requires of us if we're just going to run out the door and try it. That's why we need to pray. Pray is something we really need to do. 
So we ask the Spirit to give us the eyes of Christ. The eyes of Christ that sees the hard places. Like, like you, you know that story in the Bible of Ezekiel where he rolls up onto the valley of dry bones. And what does Ezekiel see? He sees old, junky, dead, dusty bones. What does God see? God sees the possibility of life to come from those old bones. Pregnant with possibility. Seeing the world this way will change your whole life. It changed your life. It changed the life of Epiphras. You guys know who Epiphras is. He's, I'm probably not even pronouncing that name right. But it's in Colossians. He's one of Paul's ministry buddies. And he accompanied Paul on his ministry journeys, his, his quote-unquote ministry tours, right? And he went from place to place, preaching the gospel, experiencing hardships, imprisonments, whatever. And the joy that was in Epiphras that the Holy Spirit put in caused him to share the gospel back home in his hometown of Colossae. That's the Colossian church here. The Colossian church was birthed out of this man's conviction to go back to his family, to the ordinary nooks and crannies of his life, and to share the hope that he had of Jesus. And what we get is this magnificent letter to the Colossians that was birthed out of pretty ordinary circumstances. It's a big part of my testimony. Big part of my testimony is that God has, he saves me in college. And it's, it's not been a perfect uphill climb of always seeking opportunities for God to save people. Always seeking opportunities to see the mission of God move forward. And I know that we're all the same in that. Is that our first inclination is to not run out that door and say, all right, who can I share the gospel with? We need help. We need the Spirit. My, part of my story is God has transformed my heart and my perspective to see my hometown of Clinton, Iowa with possibility. There's opportunity there. I pray for opportunity in Clinton, Iowa. See, Clinton, Clinton is like a lot of other places and a lot of other people. The story of Clinton is your story. Is that Clinton, when it was founded, there was tons of youthful vibrance, right? There was industry, there was the logging industry was massive. Wealth, prosperity infused into that place. Life animated. Industrial revolution hits. Continue to get, provide good jobs. 1980s hit. Farm crisis. Bam. Grind. 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 And year after year, generation after generation, people have to deal with the fact that what was once a vibrant full of life place feels like the life has been sucked out of it. What animated that place feels like it's gone. And that's not just the story of Clinton. You to some degree have all experienced that version of your story in some way. What previously animated your delight in your heart has come and gone. Your heart is fickle, but God's heart is not fickle. And so through prayer, we tap into that. We tap into God's heart for the city, God's heart for the lost. That's why we stay persistent in prayer. And that's why we pray for opportunity. And it may not be your hometown that you go back to. It might be. Hopefully, maybe this is your hometown. But you might go back home to your spouse. You might go back home to your kids. You might go back home to your coworkers. 
to that person that you've had a tough conversation with about politics and you think, I can't share the gospel with this guy. He thinks this. He's of course not going to embrace Jesus. That's baloney. That's cynicism. We need to kill that and weed it out. And the only way to do that is for the Holy Spirit to produce something in you that you have not seen or experienced under your own strength. That's why we need to pray. It's God's power that saves the lost. It's God's power that animates the dry bones. Let's pray to God. That's what we need. Heavenly Father, we are such... (laughs) We are so helpless without your power to animate the darkness, to light up the darkness of our city, of our families, of our workplaces, everything, God, our hearts. We are so desperate for you to come fill our lives with your Holy Spirit power. God, I pray that, I pray that we, would, we would approach you with an earnestness that we've not yet experienced. The prayer of the psalmist that says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. I pray that this morning, right now, we would all be praying that. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. We can't, I can't live a joyless life. There's too much in this world that beats me down. Please, God, help me to see my rescue, my salvation by your son Jesus on the cross. Help us to see this. Help us to see Christ crucified and treasure him more thoroughly this morning and that that joy would bleed out into prayer and opportunity to be sought out for the lost. I pray that this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.